Welcome, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Punches and Potables, powered by Last Out Media. First in, last out. You can find us on all listening platforms as well as on Instagram and Twitch at podcastpotables.network and on Twitter and untapped at Process Potables. For news, blog posts, archived episodes, and info on breweries we featured, go to www.processpotables.com. Punches and Potables is on tap. Cheers, everyone. Welcome back to Punches and Potables. I am your host, Paul Ryan, here with my little brother, Sean Hardy. Your name's not Paul Ryan. Just shut up and go with it. And it begins. Back with us this week is our co-host, Rob Huber. Yeah, I had to come back and defend my honor. I'm not going with it. What honor? There's little, but there's some. And as you can hear, the voice over there is our editor-in-chief, the Captain Dan Morgan. I, I'm This whole honor thing has me really really bugged already. I'm, I'm not sure where that came from, but uh, if we're going to talk about honor here, I would just like to take a moment before you guys do your wonderful thing and talk about myself for a little bit and talk about this network and how today is the two-year anniversary of Process Potables and the network that we are attempting to build. And, I, you know, I'll save a, a lot of the stuff for Process Potables because that's kind of where I'm sure me and Steve will rant about a lot of the memories, but you guys being new to the team and being something that has given me a lot of rejuvenation and and fun and uh, high spirits over the last few months, you guys are really killing the game and doing a great job. I just want to you know thank all three of you for uh, doing this pretty much every week and being on top of your game and you know enjoying some beers with me and just. Making this whole thing fun because that's that's the whole point and that's why I've enjoyed doing this for two years is it's fun and it helps that you guys know your stuff. So uh, congrats on you know your you know two months or so of consistently doing this and shout out to the network and everyone who's helped us here. I, I did throw a little thank you to some special people on Twitter. So I know they all saw that and I'm sure we'll have more people to thank on a Process Potables episode coming up. But I uh, just wanted to... Thank you three as well, uh, Paul Ryan and Sean Hardy and Rob Huber. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you for having us and letting us do this, being our uh, editor and producer, and happy anniversary to the network. Hey. And before we get into the good stuff, I am going to throw a shout-out to a friend of ours who has been a helper to, I'm sure, you and a supporter for us. But I want to say congrats to a friend of the show and Corey Ottmuller, finally putting the ring on his girlfriend Jackie's finger. All jokes, sarcastic comments, and ball-breaking from me aside. Wait, what? Fiancé. Ah, uh, yes. Long, now fiancé. The worst part about that is the fact that now we won't have the match we were hoping for that we could have talked about on this very podcast. Oh, trust me, it's coming. Don't worry. Corey and me got some uh, shit to figure out, but I'll be nice for right now because he got engaged. So congrats to them. We wish them the best. Looking forward to their big day. If I get invited, because we know Jackie hates me. Yeah, I, don't, I, I really hope you aren't invited. That's fair. I mean, look, dude, I support Corey because he supported me. So, Corey, congratulations. Yeah, I'm not sure how he said you're his favorite to listen to, but but yeah, especially whatever. with Dan right there. I mean, Sean's my favorite to listen to as well. I don't talk that much on this. He he yeah. he supports the uh, the process potable, so I'm I'm fine with it. I'm a people pleaser, Paul. <laughs> and I go by my real name. 
That's well, fuck you, and that's fair on Corey. But you know, this being nice is really leaving a bad taste in my mouth. Let's pop open these beers and get this shit rolling. Yeah, that was pretty smooth. Rob, what you drinking today? So I am drinking a double nickel nocturnal creatures. It's an imperial dessert stout, and it you is motherfucker, you took that. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. Now we have a problem. Oh shit, we're gonna have a different match tonight. <laughs> So I am drinking a La Quinta's Haze Wonder IPA. It is made Lagunitas. with... Lagunitas. Eh, whatever, shit. I don't care. It's made with Sabra, Citra, Cashmere, and beer. Comet Hops. So, Dan, what you drinking over there in your bone saw hat? Well, I guess there's no way I'm drinking a fucking double nickel nocturnal creatures anymore. I didn't sip ha- it. Do you want it? Happy two years to my network here. <laughs> you uh, bastard, Rob. To celebrate, I chose one of my favorites that I happen to have. I think this is my last one. Uh, we talked about it before on the potables uh, from Hysteria Brewing in Maryland. This is Baltimore Chop. It is an orange milkshake IPA, and it is absolutely delicious. A ton of lactose. Uh, the orange flavor is more on the back end, so you get that real, you know, like an orange creamsicle milkshake kind of flavor, and it's baller. Sean, what are you drinking? I'm del- drinking a delicious medium Coke from Arby's <laughs> because I... Hail Satan, eat Arby's. Yeah. I wasn't home for more than like 10 minutes today, so I made Paul stop at the drive-thru, which, by the way, his window doesn't roll down, so we have to embarrassingly drive past the drive-thru window so he can open his door and then give the food. Doesn't bother me one bit. I'm mortified. Next time you drive. No. Makes a great point. So personal fights aside, why don't we get into actual ones that happened this past weekend? Sure, why not? Let's jump right into it. Uh, I'll go through the prelims real quick, and then we'll open up the main card for discussion. The first fight of the night, Gian Vellante lost to Jake Collier by unanimous decision. Just going to throw this out. Uh, Gian Vellante has not looked good since he jumped back up to heavyweight. He was always a back end of the top 15 mid-card light heavyweight, but he does not look good at heavyweight. Moving on, Ilya Topiria. Defeated Damon Jackson in the first round by TKO. And Louis Smolka rallied in the second round to beat Jose Quinones by TKO. So moving on to the main card. The first fight of the night wasn't a very long one. Veteran Matt Wyman lost to Jordan Leavitt in the very first round by a slam. You haven't seen a big slam knockout since Jessica Andrade slammed Thug Rose on her head for the title. So it was a, that was a fun one to watch. I wouldn't necessarily say a fun one to watch, but at least the statistics of it was interesting because I think that was, what, the 12th overall uh, win by an actual slam. Uh, More or less, I was frightened out of my mind the second that I saw it. And the fact that, you know, we had the celebration. Of course, he just got a victory uh, from Leave It, and it was just, you know, in the moment, of course, you're celebrating. But it was when the commentators, as well as... Him just they they all just stopped for a second because Wyman his eyes weren't opening his legs weren't moving uh, I I was honestly scared from the second that we saw the slam until they really sat him back up where they said that he was starting to talk again that something serious took place I thought his neck may have snapped even though it was supported I uh, man that that was that was scary to watch yeah I mean we kind of make the joke oftentimes when guys get heavily knocked out mm-hmm. like yeah he's dead. I'll be real with you. There was a split second where I thought, like, 
yo, this guy might really be dead. Yeah. I, like, I, he didn't move. There was no eye movement. There was nothing. Even when they said that he started to um, speak, they were like, and they're, they're, they're working on his legs now. I was just like, this, this motherfucker's paralyzed. Like, 100%. Your neck doesn't slam like that. And that's, that's why they were saying as well, this is why you're not allowed to land punches or strikes in the back of the head because you take a serious hit like that and that could be career ending. That could be life ending. So it was interesting. It was eventful for the short amount of time that the fight lasted, but fuck if it wasn't scary. Yeah. Wyman might want to, you know, hang it up. He is 38 years old and he has done, I want to say two or three stints in the UFC. He's never made any real progression or progress moving forward. He might either want to hang it up or go to one of the under, you know, the other leagues like the PFL or something and just try to make some money because it's clear he's never going to make it in the big leagues with these guys. And I will give Jordan some credit. He was very respectful to him mm-hmm. after he got knocked him out and his wife at the on the outside of the cage. So that's what I was going to say is the other thing is not only his age, but his wife and his child were not only there to just witness it, but that's something that you have to always take into consideration. You, you know, you're you're getting older in the game. You really haven't been on any type of successful run in the UFC, and then you take a significant knockout like that that had everybody scared for a little while and probably still should. He probably has some, you know, an excessive concussion, if not worse at this point. So I agree. I do think for him it might be time just to, you know, throw in the gloves or I I, I would even be worried to see him go to a lower production. I'd say it's time to just hang it up. Yeah, and honestly, he, he already got cut from the UFC. They cut him right afterwards, which may be in his best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to say... Maybe Bellator would pick him up, but I doubt it because Bellator is starting to seem to be really picky yep. with who they are and aren't taking anymore. So I would assume he's he's gonna if he does get it, he's gonna be a big name in the local circuit. Either that or the PFL. I don't even think the PFL's being the PFL's being picky too, dude. Yeah, we're gonna get into that a little bit later. Um, as for Jordan, I mean, it was his first fight in the UFC. Hard to say what's next for him, but he definitely got some attention and some people looking his way. So. We'll see what Dana White and uh, Sean Shelby have in store for him next. Moving on, you had Roman Delidze versus John Allen, and Roman won by split decision. I thought that should have been unanimous. I thought it was pretty clear that Roman won, but it seemed that this one judge they keep bringing back doesn't value wrestling or grappling at all. Yeah, everybody, everybody thought that this was a unanimous decision victory. Um, Dana White in his post, you know, fight conference and interview at the end was going off about I think the one quote he made was that these judges are going to ruin somebody's life you know more or less just because you know they they don't really overturn it what the judges scorecards say is how they score it so that has the effect on somebody's undefeated record or the opportunity to take away potentially for someone to get um you know, some type of bonus at the end of the night. So you're messing with somebody's record, which is essentially as a fighter, your livelihood and how you can promote yourself and brand yourself and put yourself out there as being, you know, more of a commodity for more money. So he's exactly right in that. So especially this one judge, who was it, Felder, who uh, he said he, he, he scored his card as well. And Felder came right out on the side of the octagon and said, I didn't win that fight at all. He's like, I didn't win a single round. And 
they gave it a split decision, and it was the same exact. They were calling him out by name. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think Felder definitely said it was a, the same judge that gave him the fight mm-hmm. over Dos Anjos, and I believe it was uh, Dominic Cruz who put his name on blast so everybody could see who it is. Yeah, and rightfully so. Um, you know, it, like you said, it, it's these boxing judges that used to score strictly boxing coming in and now not having a greater respect for what is MMA because they're just used to, you know, seeing guys throw hands and whoever landed more is the victor. So if you did kind of okay on the stand-up, but then the rest of the match was taken to the ground and you got demolished, they still might score you higher because you hit somebody in the face once or twice more. So it's it's iffy. It's definitely something that the organization and Dana White are going to have to look into, and I'd be surprised if we see this specific judge back on any card anytime soon, if ever. I think the big problem is... is- to be a judge, you don't have to really – it doesn't seem – from what I've seen, you don't have to really go through any extensive training, knowledge, or anything. It's just like you basically sign up for a course, you take it, you're a certified judge. Yeah. Now, to me, honestly, at the UFC level, I would love to see retired fighters come back. Now, I'm not saying retired fighters who are still heavily active in camps, like Rashad Evans, who's still a coach here, but he's yeah. a retired fighter. I'm talking like a Chuck Liddell. Yeah, Been absolutely. retired for a long time. He's – I mean, who who left does he have to be biased for? Bring back Forrest. Um, Forrest Griffin, Matthew. Well, I don't know if Matthew's going to do it now, but you know what I mean? Matt Serra. Well, no, Matt Serra's a coach. I think for Chuck, the only one he might be biased for would be Glover. Right, but I'm just saying, okay, so he's got one person he can't judge. Yeah, that's but, it. You know what I mean? Have like six judges there that were all retired fighters that have all been in the fight game for a while, and if they had some sort of affiliation with a camp, well, they're not judging that particular fight, they swap out, and I don't know, we'll just say Chuck Liddell and, and Glover. You know, Chuck Liddell, if Glover's on the card, he can he can judge everything, and then when Glover's up, he swaps out, Forrest Griffin comes in. I feel like these guys know the rules. It would take away some of these big mishaps, but nothing's going to change until a big title gets impacted. Absolutely. You I know? mean, but not to take away from Roman's victory, though. I mean, obviously, this is the controversial topic of that fight. And it's the big one that most people were focusing on. But credit to where credit is due. He had one hell of a fight, obviously, considering everybody that watched it thought it was unanimous. He went in there. He dominated. He really just put on a showcase and one hell of a victory. Yeah, it was the clear 30. Like, it was the clearest 30-27 mm-hmm. of the night. Like, there was no doubt, no denying it. When he, I think even the other guy, they panned to him. When Bruce Buffer was announcing it, he had, like, the split screen, which is usually your you're given it's going to be a split decision. And when they panned to him, even his eyes like opened up like, what? Are you sure you said the right name? Yeah, it's the same thing as Felder when he was saying, like, I I was part of that fight. I I felt that fight. <laughs> I went back and watched that fight. He was like, and at no point did I, I win any part of that fight. Um, you know, the only thing I really have to say about Roman that upset me, and we talked about a little bit, is just strictly his post-fight interview where they asked what's next for him or where he sees himself. And you have a guy who has a lot of hype. He's got an 8-0 professional record. And the one thing that just irked me, and it's something that we spoke about on previous episodes, is that he said he and his team and his coaches have talked about him going to 185 in 2021. So once again, we have a fighter who isn't ranked, who has a lot of hype behind him in a certain division, who's already thinking about going to another division. And I know, Sean, you brought it up before where it's just, you know, 
you haven't made enough of a name for yourself or a staple in one division yet. Why are these fighters thinking that it's okay or the best move for them career-wise to then switch it up already? So that was the only thing that really, after such an impressive victory and then the shock of the unan- or the not getting the unanimous decision, to then hear him say that he's now thinking of next year and the next couple of months going to a new weight class, it just, it, the, this, the, in the span of five minutes, it threw me off. Unless he plans on making that move permanent, it really doesn't make sense, especially if he plans on jumping back and forth. I mean, it's working for one guy right now, but history has shown that typically does not work out for you Mm -hmm. in the end. It's going to screw your body up. In the long run, it's going to screw your whole body up. Yeah. Take it from three wrestlers who are sitting here. Jumping like that, I mean, I know I had a couple times had to jump up from my weight to the next weight because the guy got injured and the fill-in spots, they had me go up. And I absolutely killed myself because now I'm eating more than I'm usually doing. My my diet was off. And then when I had to make the cut back down from 25 to 19, which when I was weighing in at 25, I was coming into practice at almost 130 pounds, mm-hmm. where when I was coming in at 19, I was actually floating around like 124, 123. I know it doesn't sound like a lot. That's a lot on your body to get that extra weight down. Yeah, especially because, you know, those seasons are short and just like these camps and especially with COVID, we're seeing, especially on this upcoming weekend, the effects that it's going to have and the amount of fights that are getting canceled or postponed. So, I mean, to think about the amount of times that some of these fighters are getting and the limited amount of time that they're getting in order to make these dramatic cuts in their weight or sometimes increases or maybe you haven't been in a camp and you're kind of just floating around a certain weight class so they're just like hey why don't you take this one and you're fighting 10 pounds heavier than you normally do or whatever the case may be it's it, it's a lot and if you get into a routine of fighting at a certain weight class and that's what you're used to yeah switching back and forth especially if you plan on fighting a couple of times a year it's it's not going to be healthy for you and it's definitely going to have some serious effects on your game plan all right, jumping to the next one. Gabriel Benitez got a performance of the night with his KO finish over Justin Janes. These guys came out swinging, but for the most part, uh, Benitez was in control. Like, don't get me wrong, Janes landed his shots, but there was at no point I thought he was leading the dance. It was all Benitez, and it was only a matter of time before he put him away. Yeah, I, I didn't like Janes just from his name. Um, you know, those, those nicknames go a long way and, uh, guitar hero, uh, being the, the, the fighter nickname kind of threw me off. So I was like, all right, I, I mean, I, I'll give him some credit, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm not necessarily rooting for him right now. Just like how we've said songs that they, their entrance music sometimes will, you know, give us the, the hype on a certain fighter, regardless if we like them or not, you know, if they come out to a certain song, uh, the, the guitar hero nickname really threw me for a loop. But then Benitez comes out in the center of the octagon when he's being announced, and then he did only what I could describe as Michael Scott in the office when he's thinking about doing his wave at the New York ceremony, and they tell him not to do the spin. And Benitez does this awkward little spin that he then trips over himself at the end, and you can see instant regret in his face. And I'm like, all right, well, I kind of fucking hate you too. But all that went away as soon as that. As soon as they started throwing. <laughs> oh my god! It, it was it was instant. As soon as they met in the middle of the octagon, it was just hands, kicks. I mean, it, they they were flying the whole entire match. And like you said, Benitez definitely had control. But that was a fun one to watch, and both fighters really went out there with absolutely no fear. Yeah, and uh, 
what, what Benitez did is, if I'm remembering the right one, which I understand what that sounds like, but if I'm remembering the white guy, he ripped him to the body, and then he came up top, and that's what put him away. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the things you really don't see as often as you should, especially in on that cage. A lot of people try and throw the knees, and, and I'm not saying the knees aren't effective, but they throw the knees, and oftentimes they glance. They don't really land. He bit down on the mouthpiece, ripped one to the body, and put him to sleep. Yeah, he had him know. right in the sternum with kind of like a flying knee. It was more like a little like jump. Like it was, it was kind of like textbook. He, it was you know when you're thinking of like bag training, you know you kind of, he just gripped the top of the bag and then just really just drove his knee in and then kind of had a little hop to it. So uh, I mean there was so much pressure thrown into the sternum there and man, I mean you you saw it instantly because obviously he went right down and it. Thankfully, it doesn't seem like it might be a broken rib situation or anything like that, or maybe like a broken sternum because he was able to quickly get up afterwards. Uh, but, I mean, wow. Uh, that it, it knocked the wind right out of him, and it only took another punch or two to end the fight. All right, moving on to the co-main event of the evening, and uh, it's hard. It's, mm, it's rough with this one because Jamal Hill gets a big win, easily the biggest win of his career, gets him in the rankings, but... OSP is one of the most frustrating and disappointing fighters in the organization. This guy is so talented and has gone on runs, has fought John Jones for an interim title. I mean, he's been to the top, but he can never stay consistent. And you don't know what it is. And he's been jumping back and forth between heavyweight and light heavyweight. But in this fight, he just looked so... Like, you want to be relaxed in the cage, but he looked so overly relaxed to the point where he didn't care. And he got sloppy, and he got lazy, and he got put away. And that's on nobody but him. Yeah, I mean, not only did he come in overweight, so there's strike number one. He did look very relaxed, and I don't think he looked bad during round number one. I I thought he looked pretty decent, you know, and I was like, okay, maybe he's just feeling it out. He is a a veteran in the sport, so... um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take away from what he's doing. And he was landing a couple uh, kicks. Everything was looking okay. Nothing spectacular. But, you know, I, I wasn't saying already that, okay, he's washed up and he, he's not in this fight. Second round, and he's flat-footed. He's not doing any of the footwork that he was in the first. He's square in his stance. His head movement absolutely just stopped. And then when you have a guy like Hill as your opponent, that's you're guaranteed to have exactly what happened happen if you're going to do one of those things, let alone all of those things. I, it, it just seemed like after the first round, he had already just given up, and he almost went in there and said, finish me. I kind of agree with Paul in, in the sense that he looked so relaxed to the point where I would almost say disinterested. Yeah, He looked like he had no intention to be in there. He, he didn't want to fight. I don't know what it was, and and don't get me wrong, we all go into our jobs day in and day out and really don't want to be there, but in reality, his job is to show up once every, what, four to six months? Yep. And and you have one job, and he literally showed up, looked so disinterested, and I I don't know if something happened behind the scenes or whatnot, and we really won't know for a little while, but he looked like he didn't want to be there, and, you know, Hill made sure he wasn't going to be there long. Put him out, he put him him down with a TKO, and it just... It looked bad. OSP looked horrible. Horrible. Look, you can't come out. It looked like he got too accustomed to the pace of heavyweight. And unless you're going to stay at heavyweight, you can't fight like a heavyweight. So if you're going to fight like that, one, 
come in motivated, and two, put on the necessary muscle and size to fight at heavyweight. So my suggestion is go back up to heavyweight and fight the winner of Greg Hardy and Marcin Tybura. For Jamal Hill, you're finally ranked. You're looking for a fight to move forward. So I would say loser, even though he's coming off a win, I would say the loser of Ryan Spann versus Misha Serkinov would be a good uh, step up for him and a good fight to try to move forward because even if somebody loses, these guys are both ranked. I don't see them dropping out of the rankings or that far. So I think it would be a good step to just kind of dip his feet in the water and really get a feel for the top guys in the light heavyweight division. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, you can give him like, I mean, Paul Craig, I'd like to see him go forward. But Paul Craig's the 14. You could maybe give him Paul Craig, see if he's legit, see if he's, and not Paul Craig being legit because you know, obviously he just beat Shogun, but I'm saying that, you know, Jamal Hill or, or even a Jimmy Crew. Or, or yeah, Ryan Spann sitting, sitting at the uh, the 12, so the loser of that really wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't really see him making a huge jump or anything unless someone, you know, is desperate for a fight. So, yeah, probably roughly right around what you said. I mean, one of the things we also have to consider, uh, just based off of what you said, Paul, if you're going to fight at a certain weight class or you want to still fight at that heavyweight, you know, kind of style in terms of putting on that weight or putting on the necessary muscle, is he's also 37 years old. You know, we can't take away from the fact of how more, how difficult is it now for him to put on that necessary muscle in order to be a significant striker in a heavier weight class. I mean, that, that could very well play into it. Uh, hell, that could very well play into the weight cut and the lack thereof for him or coming in two and a half pounds overweight. Uh, you know, maybe it's just another fighter that we're seeing is just not necessarily washed up. I mean, he definitely looked like it this past weekend, but, you know, just another fighter that has been way past their prime and needs to see themselves on out or to a lower production at this point. All right, and on to the main event. And if you missed it, you missed out because this fight was great. I would say easily one of the top ten fights, if not top five fights of the year, because there was everything. There was grappling, there was submission attempts, some good striking from both guys in the Jack Hermanson versus Marvin Fattori fight. Uh, Marvin Fattori was training to fight Jacare this weekend, but they had to switch some things around, so he got bumped up to the main event on short notice and jumped from a three-round fight to a five-round fight, and he wound up getting the unanimous decision win over the number four in Jack Hermanson. So now he is going to jump up from the number 12 to being a top-five guy off of this fight. Absolutely incredible fight. Uh, if you have the opportunity to go back and watch it, even if you saw it, go back and watch it again. I, I, when you were saying top 10, I thought you were going to say of all time, and I wasn't really going to fight you too much on it. If we're talking in just 2020, as much as there has been some incredible action in the octagon, and even with everything going on in the world, I would say absolutely top five. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm struggling to think of full-blown maybe three, five-round fights, even if it did have a knockout in the second or third or throughout the fight or a solid submission victory. I'm struggling to think of other ones right now. Well, that Some of the ones I was thinking at were at the beginning of the year, Zhang Weili versus Ioana. Yeah. Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. Okay. Uh, Tony and Gaethje, they were all fun and really put on shows. Absolutely. But in, in terms of this bout, like you said, 
striking, grappling, the submission attempts, the tanks that both of these guys went in there and had in terms of their conditioning. It was just one hell of a fight where both fighters knew that they had something on the line. For Hermanson, that was don't lose to somebody who's that far back in the ranks, or was he even ranked at that point? Uh, Vittori was, was the 12th. 12th, okay. I, I thought he was 13, so got it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, don't lose to somebody that far back in the rankings. And then for Vittori, I think, you know, it was discussed uh, last week, as well as I think we might have brought it up the week before that as well. Don't lose this opportunity to get your name out there and, you know, kind of that whole you have nothing to lose mentality here. You know, go out there and finish off the number four and prove to the world that you can do it. And holy shit, did he. Yeah, so what I was kind of surprised by was uh, Vittori's cardio in the sense that he was training for a three-round and he got the five-round. Now, what kind of what I, what I kind of looked at in this fight, in a sense, is uh, was Hermanson like a real legit number four? Or... Did he just get – was he fool's gold, and did we just see that he really was? Um, I know he's had some, some good wins in his career and everything, and I'm not knocking him for that. But I'm just saying sometimes you get these guys, and I think Jorge Masvidal is one of the biggest fool's gold yes. in, in the welterweight division. And sometimes you get these guys that go out, they, they end up knocking a couple guys off, and sometimes it's you know your best night, and you the guy you happen to fight, it happened to be his worst. So – Maybe with Hermanson, you might have seen that, and this isn't taking anything away from Vittori. I thought he won four rounds clear as day, and I don't think it's going to boost him into the top five. I think Hermanson's going to probably drop to, like, the seven area. And I, you're think he, get... I think I'm he got looking at the rankings, taken down to six. I'm looking at the rankings now. Marvin Vittori is the five, and Jack Hermanson is six. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say six and seven, so I wasn't too far off. I mean, for Vittori, you put yourself in to probably you're one more fight away. I would assume... Actually, I would really like to see him fight uh, Kananir at this point, and that's a real easy way to find out if Vittori's legit or not, or he just caught Hermanson on a bad night, or or vice versa. It doesn't matter. It it was it was a great fight. You guys really hit the nail on the head. It really was. I thought when it went to the ground, I thought uh, Vittori was a little ambitious taking it to the ground, especially with a guy like Hermanson who's known for submissions and just basically being able to smash him out. I did think Vittori was going to get finished in, I think it was the fourth, because Hermanson was hitting him with bombs. Mm-hmm. Just absolute bombs. He was biting down on the mouthpiece, and he was just slugging him. And, and Vittori really wasn't firing too much back at him. So I thought that was when Hermanson was going to finish it. But, you know, good for Vittori for actually coming in and, and taking the huge opportunity he was given and doing everything with it. I love how Rob's strategy is, you know what you, know what you shouldn't do? Lose. Best thing you can do, don't lose. Rob, Bold. have you ever considered like being a coach for MMA? Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out. I fucking hate all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, buddy. All right, so now we're going to talk about what's next. I know you threw out Jared Cannonier for Marvin, and I know Marvin called out Paulo Costa, but I still want to see Cannonier and Costa get it on. So I'm going to be the Ooh. difficult one. Sounds seductive, Paul. And throw this one at Sean, you know, to throw a curveball at his boy. And let's see Vittori take on Whitaker. Why? Why Why would Whitaker even do that? Why? Whitaker is literally waiting basically till 2021 because well, I know. Well, because Adesanya on, is on. Hold on. No, no, no. God damn it, Paul. You asked me a question. I can't even fucking answer it. No, you I'm can't. sip my drink at this point. This is, this is like, this is how I, I get louder, as Dan said, as the show goes on. Because you ask a question and then you, you stop me mid-answer. And... And don't forget, it's about your boy. 
Yeah, yeah, my boy. Okay, so first off, I'll be you know very open on here on this podcast and saying I'm not. I, I like Robert Whitaker. He's not like my favorite fighter in the world. I like him. Dude goes out, swings, knocks people out. I'm in. But he's yeah. your boy. Yeah, thanks. You know, Connor's yours, and any one of Paul's boys, he will die on the hill for, even if they're on a seven-fight <laughs> losing streak. <coughs> Cowboy. So, oh, I'm sorry. He's got a tie. So, anyway, Whitaker, th- there's no reason for Whitaker to take the fight. Yeah, he took a break, but you and Rob have killed him for for, like, three weeks. He yep. fought two crazy tough fights, two two fights in a row. He said, I'm waiting until 2021. He's going to probably fight, get his rematch when Adesanya's done dicking around at 205. Or he's going to get the interim belt back when Adesanya, if Adesanya wins and he decides to stay up there. So, no, to your dumbass point, I would I would say, you know, Cannoneer is, is probably roughly good for him. You know, one coming off a big loss, one coming off a big win, both trying to stay where they're at. Yeah, I would, I would think that's that's actually the better fight. Or Costa, you know, again, coming off a big loss, one coming off a big win. Although I think if uh, Verat or Vittori decides to do his whole, like, I'm going to stand there in the fourth round and just let you slug off my face, I think Costa might kill him. But, you know, yeah, I would like to see Kenanier. Get your dumbass Whitaker opinion out of here. If, Hi, Rob. if you're talking about somebody getting punished for taking a break, I would love to hear Rob's thoughts on how long it's been since McGregor fought. Ooh. All I can think about is how sexual slug off my face just sounded. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see someone slug off my face, I was like, oh, hey. Paul, Paul wanted two <laughs> people to get it on. And uh, yeah. and well, his favorite fighter was GSP, and I've pointed out many a times that he's the closest thing to gay porn you could put on television. Go ahead, Dan. You can take this one. <laughs> you can't deny it. <laughs> he literally took him down in the corner. I don't, just, I, I don't want the smoke from Sean. I leave that to you. <laughs> Well, that's fair. It looks like it looks like he's been burning off some of that hairline, bro. That hairline's been going long Ooh. before that. Get him with a left. Now get him with a right. <laughs> he told me my hairline's been looking like Vegeta's for a long time. <laughs> it but. is. It's, it's really getting there, except it's not nearly as high and cool looking. Post Bulma relationship, Vegeta hairline. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, when she drops his ass. Yeah, well, it's all right. I look like Krillin. That's fair. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Go give me a sharpie so we can put the dots on his head. There's no Twitch, so it's not as fun. That's fair. <laughs> but as for Vittoria, I would think if they are going to put an interim belt, uh, Vittoria would be the guy coming off that big win over Hermanson. And you don't know how long Adesanya is going to be up there at 205. And Adesanya already said he has no interest in fighting Whitaker right now. And Whitaker also said he doesn't want to fight Adesanya right now. So you got to give him somebody. Really but don't. as for moving on to Hermanson, I think since he's back at the 7... There's a lot of guys you could partner him up with, try to rebook Till. I don't think that makes sense. Brunson's coming off of like three, four wins, so that really doesn't make sense to me either. So I would say give him the young rookie who just uh, had his first loss to Brunson and Edmund Shabazian. Now, see, I have to go back real quick um, in this whole, you know, throwing interim out there for the guy that was just 12th and has now jumped all the way up to 5th, granted, fantastic fight that's a huge jump in the rankings and now to say why not just give him a chance at an interim belt i think that's that's way too fast now i i don't necessarily think i don't wholeheartedly agree with sean in the sense that was hermanson a faux four kind of thing you know like is is that the best person that should have been in that ranking because i think throughout that fight he still showed us that he deserved to be in the spot that he was but giving a, a potential interim title belt to someone that just, you know, 
stepped in and then was all the way in the 12th spot. It's what makes me nervous because I know we're going to get to this upcoming week's card as well. Well, here's And the, it, it's uh, what makes me nervous about Gain Dos Santos is because Gain mentioned that if he beats Dos Santos, he wants Francis Ngano next. And he's currently the 14th and Ngano's the number one. And it's just, now we have this, okay, a guy all the way back in the rankings faces somebody further up in the rankings. And then if they beat them, they're automatically just assuming that they get the number one contender or a title shot. It's, it, that, well, that's it's not going to happen. But the reason you, ha- you would have to go Vittori is because if you look at the top five, he's the only other one other than Whitaker with a win right now. Darren Till's coming off a loss. Costa's coming off a loss. Cannoneer's coming off a loss. So wouldn't you want to take one of those guys that you just mentioned that have a loss that need the opportunity to prove themselves to go up against someone who just had a major win like that against Hermanson? Well, I'm just saying, if you're doing the interim title and you would put Whitaker in, who, who are you going to throw in there? Well, we're not doing the interim yeah. title. I'm just you're saying doing if. The uh, no, no, you were the one who brought it up. But I said, if you're doing the interim title, it would be Whitaker. Who else would it be? Uh, probably the guy who just lost, which is the same reason you've been pushing Gaethje in the lightweight one. Mm. He just lost. But Ga- uh, Costa doesn't have the same hype around him as Gaethje does. Okay, so now we're just changing it. We're using your logic, but you're changing it. No, I'm just saying the, the hype and the popularity matter. And right now, who's the name everybody's talking about? Conor McGregor. Not that division. Bro, I hate to break this to you. Michael Chandler. Nobody's talking about Vittori but us. It's a small time card. Yep. It's not. It, it was a great main event that a lot of people probably didn't watch, unfortunately. So in that sense, no, I don't think a lot of people are, are honestly looking at Vittori. Now, if Vittori does this on a major pay-per-view, mm. if, if this fight happened on a major pay-per-view, I'm talking like a John Jones, you know, a, a Conor McGregor, a major pay-per-view, then I think Vittori would have the hype because people would be like, holy shit, this guy's really good. But unfortunately, he fought on an ESPN2 card. It wasn't even a good enough card to get on ESPN. And again, I'm not saying it wasn't a good card. Overall, it was an awesome card to watch. But as far as name power, yeah, not a lot of people were going to probably tune into this. And that's where we have to go with in terms of hype. If we're going to go that route of... Well, they have the hype going for them. Yeah, unfortunately, as much as the three of us would agree that he has that hype, especially after such a significant victory. He doesn't have that kind of star power or quality about him. He hasn't put his name out there and all of the media aspects to the point where a lot of casual fans really give a shit about him as much as we currently do right here. Uh, I'm all about it. I think he's one hell of a fighter and a class act on top of that. I think he holds himself well in the octagon. And like we mentioned earlier, the fact that he was preparing for a three-round fight and was able to go all five as well as dominate during them, he's definitely a fighter that needs to be watched. And for anyone that does listen to our podcast and you know may be more of a casual fan and not watch these cards as much as we beat it into the ground, that you have to watch these non-pay-per-view ones or you know even these ESPN two uh, main cards, you really do because this is exactly why. So we need to give fighters that deserve the hype the hype instead of just people that run their mouth on Twitter all the time. I'd like to see him against Till, actually, like realistically thinking about it. It's a battle of two Europeans. Till has the big national base or mm-hmm. international base, maybe not necessarily national base here, but he's got all of England. What, Vittoria's straight out of Italy? Italy? Yep. So there you go. You have two international bases. I mean, that that could be your next big fight for him, especially till coming back off injury. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking about Fool's Golden, you brought up the name earlier. Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. Looks like they are going to be booked in February, I believe Dana White said. No, he hasn't said if it's going to be on a pay-per-view or if it's going to be the main event of a fight night. 
But it looks like that one's getting pushed, which means they are not going to be the coaches of the Ultimate Fighter. I guess she still could be, because a lot of times the coaches fight. They do, but this time they would be fighting before the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I didn't really look at that. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is a shot. That's a, that's a fight night, dude. No. Masvidal at this point is pay-per-view. And Colby. I, I was about to say, unfortunately, so is Colby. Colby, I could actually see, ended up on a fight night, because he, he fought Woodley on the fight night, and he fought Lawler, Lawler we on were the there. fight night. So Wood, Covington, for as much shit as he talks and as much as he's a wannabe Conor McGregor, He's like a, a literally a, a redneck Conor McGregor. It's like it's really what he is. Mm-hmm. So with all the shit that he talks, he still can't carry the fan base that that Conor does, and and Mazudal will push that right to right to pay per view. I don't know. It'll probably be a co main event, possibly a main event. Yeah, I don't. I just don't. Probably think... a number one contender fight if you really think about it. No, it most it most likely is, but I don't think it. It, I don't I don't know. This might just be my opinion, but I don't think it's strong enough to carry a main event. No, I do. I think you're just being biased at this point because you don't really care for him. You think one's fool's goal and you hate Colby. Yeah, I mean, same uh, for me. But, uh, no, I mean, I definitely, like I was just stating, they both especially have that internet fan base as well. The The media aspect of it, they control it at this point, especially since Connor is kind of on the outskirts. So these two and their kind of feud that they have going on, uh, they, they really do have a strong following in that aspect, unfortunately. So I do think it is one that a lot of fans would want to tune into. There's no way I think it's going to be a fight night. And uh, when it comes to a pay-per-view, Personally, I would prefer if it was no more than a co-main event, but I can absolutely see them throwing them on a uh, number one contender five rounds, and you know, see what see what happens. And I think it goes the way we all kind of think it goes similar, the, same way the way Usman did. did. Yeah. Colby's going to put him against the cage, take him down, just beat him up on the ground, and take as little damage as he can. Yeah, with. Jorge, I really think it's going to have to be if he doesn't win in the first two, regardless if it's a three or five round fight, then it's definitely going to go to Covington at that point, and that's really dependent on exactly what you just stated the the game plan of Covington in those first couple of rounds. Because I think anyone, especially his coaches, would be able to say, "Look, like you know, if he doesn't win in two, his mind's gone. He he's used to that, and he's going to want to to win it quick and win it early." So. If we can just put him up against the cage and then after that maybe be a little bit more liberal with it, uh, which is funny considering it's Colby Covington. But, you know, after they get him, uh, Jorge, past the second round, I think that's when the energy might come from Colby Covington a little bit more. But if Jorge can't win it in two, it's it's a done deal for him pretty much. Masvidal seemed to have fallen into the same problem that Pettis did. At least Pettis at least had some jujitsu with it. But it seems like Masvidal which is crazy that he's an American top team. And, and, and same thing with Pettis, who trained with uh, Ben Askren, ben Askren and Tyron mm-hmm. Woodley. The, it's just the wrestling part never seemed to develop. He's got this insane striking ability. I would take Masvidal in a, just a straight-up, you know, I would say kickboxing Muay Thai fight where they're, well, I guess a little bit more than that. You know, MMA without the wrestling, I guess you could say, more or less. I would take Jorge Masvidal over most. But the problem is, is wrestling's a part of it. Mm-hmm. And and Colby and him were, were training partners. They were roommates. They were everything. So if there's really anyone who knows how to beat each other, it is them too. And honestly, skill set wise, it's just Colby Covington all the way. And, and I'm with you too. I'm not a crazy fan of Colby yeah. Covington in any way, shape, or form. I was happy when Usman broke his jaw, but it's just there's no way I see Masvidal winning that fight no, unless only, he knocks him out in the first. Only two people in that division right now that I could see beating Colby would be Usman and Gilbert Burns. With Kiesa's 
wrestling and grappling ability. Could he be a dark horse in that? Yeah, but I don't see it. I think Colby's too big and strong for him, honestly. Colby, dude, outside of Usman, Colby's a beast in that division. He's so much, he just seems to be physically stronger than everyone but Usman in the division where he can manhandle whoever he wants under that cage. Yeah, I think it's other than Usman and Gilbert Burns, Colby can probably run through the division. But that also opens things up like all your prospects for the ultimate fighter seem to be disappearing. So who's (laughs) going to be the coaches? I mean, at this point, I'm going to be surprised if it even happens because they definitively haven't started filming yet because they, they, they haven't even released who the coaches are going to be. So No, they start the interview process for the fighters yeah. uh, last month. And, and that's all good and well, but how, how far along? Like, so, so when are they expected to start filming? They would start and, filming in February if it's going to start in March because they typically release it a month early. Okay, so considering that, you need to definitively say, here's our coaches, here's our fighters, and then you need to get them secluded, you need to get them tested, and you need to make sure that there is no out, outside people or vendors or you know family members or anyone coming in or doing anything. And, you know, I mean, typically that is the case for tough, but, you know, you, you have to do that enough in advance, I'd say at least three to four weeks. So we're talking they need to have all of this done and get these fighters to the location they're going to be at probably three weeks to a month early into January and then get the filming started late January, early February in order to get the production out by March. So they really need to get the ball rolling. And because of all of that, I'm hesitant to believe that it's actually going to happen. If it's going to happen at all, it's probably going to be severely delayed. It's probably going to be delayed. I'm sorry I cut you off, but Dana is pushing for this to happen. He wants the show to come back, and you know Dana's not going to let it go. I mean, you you got to find two rising stars with star power. Now, what it could do is, is reality is if Figueroa, Figueroa, Figueroa does win, I don't know why I struggle with that. If he does win, you got, what's his name, Garbrandt, who's knocking on the door, you could get Garbrandt and him for their belt. Or, you know, you got Dillashaw coming back. You can maybe do Dillashaw and Frankie, something along them lines. Or if Captain Cringe comes back and Figueredo wins, Figueredo versus Cerruto. Oh. I, I, you know what? I, I wouldn't even try and tune in. I don't yeah. even want to tune in for Cody after that whole Dillash- him and Dillashaw's season. That was horrendous. But see, my thing with the star power is, yes, you absolutely need that, especially for a full, you know, series production like The Ultimate Fighter. But when you think about a lot of the guys that are going on these undefeated streaks coming into the UFC within the past year or two, Dana White Contender Series has been taking all of this prime star power and all of these fantastic fighters that are now coming in and proving themselves throughout the UFC and all of the different fights they're taking. You took a lot of your star power and you already found them and you put them into the UFC with contracts already. And honestly, how many fighters from the Ultimate Fighter really actually... I think I can only name two off the top of my head. I'm sure there's maybe more that, that have actually won a belt. That's Forrest and TJ. Yeah. Bisping. Oh, yeah, he did finally get one. I forgot. He was on season two. Yeah, wow. There's been a couple who've maybe not won, but have fought for titles. But here's saying. the thing, here, and I'm going to throw this out there because we haven't brought any women coaches up at all. Could they push for Shevchenko Nunez three and have them be the coaches? No, because I think it was already. If there was, is there a female group uh, division in this one? Because no, it's, it's all, all male. male. Yeah, you won't get the females. I, I understand that sounds sexist, but I feel like the only way you're going to get a women's coach is if there's a women's division going. They won't do, or if they're splitting a women's and a male. I don't think you're going to get a women for just male coaching. 
I mean, I would love to see it, especially if you do have that toxic masculinity type, you know, personality go in there and then they get beat the hell down by Nunez because she'll do it. Kicked and she, in the and, face by Shevchenko. Yeah, no, I'm just saying personality <laughs> wise, like if someone decided to talk back to either of them, I'm sure Shevchenko can hold her own in that regard. But I can just see like Nunez just like letting some like fighter talk back to her and just smiling in their face and just being like, I'll fucking kill you right here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I agree with you, but, like, I just don't see you getting the female. You know what I mean? I absolutely agree. I think what you'll end up getting, you you need either a a rising star, you need, like, a title contention, or, or since I named it earlier, an internationals, and go till Vittori for England versus Italy. Yeah, I mean, that... But but then we're getting into Vittori as a coach. Uh, dude, and you know what? COVID is going to shut that down. Forget that idea. Yeah, yeah. COVID already I mean, COVID, it, COVID's it, already shutting everything it, it down. It was a so. good idea you know, in thought, but then when it came to actually practice, it wasn't ever going to work. Yeah. yeah. But, all right, on to the next one because we're talking about comebacks. The Diaz brothers, their agent has recently come out and said there's a 99.5% chance that you see Nick and Nate in 2021. All right, so we get to play this game. Who are they fighting? What weight class? Nick's fighting Usada because he's never going to beat them. He's out. Nick has not <laughs> beaten Usada yet, so they'll look no. the other way. No, they won't. No, they won't. No, they won't. <laughs> like Nick is out, so I'm not that. Nick's been coming back for three years now, and this agent <laughs> said the same thing. So no, Nick can't beat Usada, so he's out. Nate. Uh, whatever clown he thinks he can beat for big money. Um, well, he won the rematch for the BMF with, uh, no, with Mosfield. No, then Connor no. brought his name up, and then he called Connor out, said, "Sign the paper, sign the contract, homie." And then Connor never responded. Okay, look, Nate doesn't deserve these fights. I understand he's only famous because he fought Connor McGregor. Like seriously, before he fought Connor McGregor. Nate Diaz was a middle of the pack to back into the top ten fighter. He went out, he beat Connor McGregor. With his superior grappling, because Connor chipped him up for the first round and a half before Nate did eventually catch him with volume and, and stun him a little bit. Not saying Nate's a bad fighter in any way, shape, or form, but I'm saying he doesn't warrant this I'm a pick who I want to fight when I want to fight him type deal. But the problem is because he fought, had those fights with Connors, now he's at that, not going to say Connor, like out on Connor's level, but he's like has that level of popularity where he gets to call his shots. Give him Covington. And he doesn't need a win. Or a belt for him to be relevant and get these super fights. Yeah, well, that's probably what you're going to get anymore with Nate or super fights. Nick's not coming back. It's not happening. Like, I, I would be... Well, the fight Nick wants is Masvidal. I would honestly be genuinely shocked. I, I think Anderson Silva has a better shot <laughs> at coming back to the UFC after getting fired than seeing Nick Diaz walk down there again. It's not going to happen. Nate, I don't know, dude. Pick pick your biggest name in... in 170 right now, and that that's probably it. I would say he gets loser of Covington Masvidal. I was going to say it's the same reaction that uh, Paul has to McGregor Poirier for me is until papers are signed and until both fighters are in an octagon, that's when I'll believe, especially that Nick is going to be in the UFC even for just one more fight. It is I'll believe it. When he walks down and they pat him down, Vaseline him up, and then uh, he he steps in there. Uh, that that that's when I'll believe that he's actually going to be fighting ever again. Well, I know uh, what's his name, uh, Chimaev called out Nate, told him to get his flabby body off the couch and in training, and I'll see him soon. Who is Chimaev to Nate? 
That, that like he is a speck on, on of dust on his table, dude. Mm-hmm. Nate Diaz does not care who Chamayev is. Now, if no. Chamayev wins like six in a row and is just knocking everybody out, you can knock on Nate's door. But for now, he well, ain't even a thought what, for Nate. What if he beats Edwards and gets into the top five? Still probably won't be on Nate's radar. Nate's radar is at this point... Masvidal or bust? I don't want to say Masvidal, but someone like with that kind of hype. So we're bringing back Ben Askren? No, I don't even think that, dude. It's it, there's nothing. That's, that's lack of hype. I I feel like yeah. the majority of fans of the UFC, um, you know, both hardcore and casual alike. If if Askren comes back, nobody really gives a shit, and we'd all probably question why. Mm, I don't know. I think it'd be funny. I think their terrible shit talking would be gold and just entertaining to watch. That's why I kind of want him and Covington because I think Covington. The way Covington insults you by calling you stupid and dummy is actually insults Nate could comprehend, so I feel like he could respond appropriately to the insults. I think he could respond to Ben Askren's boom roasted. I don't know, man. Uh, Askren might be a little too intellectual. Nate Diaz didn't know what a gazelle was. This is fair. I know Nate did call out Gilbert Burns because he said he wasn't a real fighter and he was tired of these quote-unquote champions taking on these guys who aren't real. That's just Nate trying to talk his way into a title shot, to be yep. honest with you. That's all that is. Well, Nate doesn't deserve a title shot at all. Uh-huh. He had he had one, and he got torn apart. Well, he fought for his participation belt. Yeah. Yeah, he lost that, too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But he's trying to run that back, which is why I'm saying for him right now, it's probably Masvidal or Bust. He wants that BMF title back. That's the dumbest title of all titles. Yeah, and I mean, we've been over that, and it's it, it really is. It's just... Like you said, something to keep yourself relevant at this point, and it's never going to be anything for a serious fighter who's already um, established themselves or has something going for them. It's going to be the you know Twitter warriors who just want to go in there and scrap and then just keep themselves relevant so they can still get a, a decent payday while saying that they're worth something because they technically have some type of a title. Uh, it's it, it's nothing. Yeah, that's that's it's it's fun. In the right context, especially when they first put it out there, uh, but now it's just it's done and over with, and I don't know why they keep bringing it up. You know what I want to see out of Nate Diaz, Paul? You want to know what I really want to see? Him I want you to get back. Floor. No, I, I want to see you get back into the rankings and actually compete and potentially get yourself up to a belt. I think he's still in the rankings at at uh, welterweight. No, I understand that, but my point being, like, you know who he should fight? Someone like Michael Chiesa. Go think- fight him. Get him in the top. If you beat him, get him into the top seven. I think if he wants to get ranked, he has to go back down to lightweight because I think these guys at 170, once he starts getting to the upper echelon, guys are going to pick him apart. I mean, he struggled at 170 before. He went up there, he tried that whole thing, and he got absolutely dismantled. Yeah, he's Rory embarrassed him. Yeah, I think right now, I think right now he's one and one on his second stint. He lost to Mosfell and beat Pettis. Yeah, he 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 lost. He beat Pettis. Uh, was Pettis? Yeah, it was a 70. They were both ranked at the time, so yeah. I don't know, dude. I, I, the Diaz brothers are done. This, this metal, do, do they still go by metal militia? Are they still metal militia people? Uh, the the Diaz army, the Nick. I think it was metal militia they went by, dude. I think they've, like, Viva La Bay metal militia type deal. I think they were <laughs> part of that. Wouldn't surprise me. You know, I mean, I, I don't really care. The, the whole, like, we're tough because we came from the ghetto thing is, is kind of done and over with. You're both millionaires. Yeah, especially now with Jorge being, you know, just like the opposite coast or whatever, and now that's just their whole gimmick together is just... East Coast, West Coast, homie. At least the East Coast won. 
Well, definitely. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just the whole, you know, where I grew up is why I'm tough and which understandably I'm not going to take away from that. It's probably very true. It's probably what, you know, was the catapult of you becoming a fighter because you likely had a lot of street fights and realized I'm knocking some people's teeth out. I might as well get paid for it. Sure. But MMA is a whole new world compared to what it used to be. And you now have to be an overall fighter for the most part, or at least proficient in all areas and skilled in at least one. Or such a specialist that you can't be denied, like Damian Maya. I mean, shit, Masvidal was. He was in that Kimbo Slice yeah. like circuit thing where they were just going to backyards, beating each other's ass, then he realized he can get paid for it and jumped in the gym. Yeah, and no hate on that. You saw the opportunity to make bank on something that you were doing pretty much for free or for pennies, so why the hell not? Make bank on it. But you can't expect to not excel in your training or not take that additional step in becoming more proficient in other aspects of the industry and the mixed martial arts aspect of it. You can't just be a stand-and-bang guy when somebody can come in, put you against a cage, and submit you, and then be fucking done with you. Now, that's why some of your all-time greats at this point would be absolutely useless in today's day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Matt they Hughes. Have, we, we, we could name a whole nah. list of them at this point that Matt probably Hughes wouldn't his, be able to. Matt Hughes in his prime would still do okay. I don't think he'd be a title holder, but with his wrestling ability and his overall striking, he would be probably at the back end of the top ten. His striking really wasn't that good, to be honest with you. And, and look, Matt Hughes had, is my favorite fighter. But, but his had wrestling power. was ridiculous. But he had power, so that made up for Even it. Even a guy like Chuck Liddell would probably be a back end of the top 15 yeah. guy. He would not flourish the way that he did in today's game. Tito not Ortiz would be useless in today's game. Tito Ortiz was kind of useless back then. <laughs> well, that's my point. So, And he's going down as one of the best light heavyweights of all time. Yeah. But we do have to move on to some sadder news. The UFC right now is going through some cuts. And Dana White warned that they are going to be releasing some big names, some older fighters, and you're going to be surprised at some of the names you see. He said because they have an inflated roster, and because of COVID and how much money they lost, they're going to have to cut a bunch of guys. And some of the early cuts have been surprising because they are big names, people who know and people who want to see. Like, the first one to drop was Yoel Romero. And the one who dropped today was Anthony Rumble Johnson. Now, Rumble was more surprising to me because I felt he could still come in and be champion, especially now that DC and John Jones were out of the division. But there's a lot to be said. There's a lot more people where this ball could drop. Like uh, Matt Brown and Carlos Condit. The loser of that fight could easily find their way out the door. I think Cowboy is a guy who's on the cusp who could get cut. Oh. It's almost like we talked about him having to leave regardless before there was cuts. Like four weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, But here's the problem. You have PFL and Bellator right now who are saying they're not really interested, even though I know Bellator went back on that a little bit by signing Rumble today because they're saying they want to groom their own talent and their own thing. So that's why Bellator didn't sign Paige Van Zandt. They said they weren't interested in Yoel Romero. They didn't go after Anderson Silva. But here's my problem with those two divisions. Are you wanting to grow your, or organizations, as we, is what I meant. Do you want to grow your own talent? Absolutely. Do you want those homegrown stars? Absolutely. But you need those names that people know and want to see in there to pull those eyes to your organization so they can see these fighters that you're trying to push. Like, if you're not a hardcore guy, like we are, 
how many casuals know who Douglas Lima is or Patricio Pitbull? Mm, I, I, th- I think people know Pitbull at least. And Probably Le- more Le- right Lima's now because name. of the Twitter stuff, but Douglas Lima is arguably one of their best homegrown fighters, and he's easily ranked in the world rankings top 10, and nobody knows him, and it's a shame. Lima's good, and, and honestly, so the two that surprised me, like you said, uh, I was surprised by, I'm not really surprised with Van Zandt. In reality, why Van Zandt's even fighting and not just said, sitting around going half naked on Instagram is beyond me. No, I was just about to say, the only places that should have been interested in picking up Paige Van Zandt WWE. after the UFC is WWE or Pornhub. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, I always make this point to Paul because Paul was a certifiable Paige Van Zandt hater, probably because I always pointed out that she was way better looking than Rose Namajunas. And oh yeah, you know what I mean. Is. I mean, absolute smoke show. Yeah, but like, Paige never had an easy road in the UFC. All of her losses came from anywhere between the top, the top fighter in Rose to to Michelle Waterson, and she beat some absolute legends at that weight at the time with Beck Rawlings and Felice Harrigan. We personally watched her beat Felice Harrigan's ass in yeah, Newark. Yeah, we were there, and she beat her ass. So like, it's not like Paige was ever really this bad fighter that like. She kind of gets this this reputation of being. I mean, her problem was she couldn't stay healthy. She broke her arm like three times. She scheduled yeah. for fights, and I'm I, again. I'm stri- I am a Paige Van Zandt fan. You know, primarily for shallow basis. She's gorgeous titties, right? And she got them done. <laughs> yep. Even better. But so, you could see she wasn't motivated at the end. It wasn't training the way she should have. Uh, when you break your arm three camps in a row, I wouldn't be motivated either, Paul. To be honest with you. Um, and you're just trying to get that fight in just to get it in. And look, again, you know, Paige Van Zandt, I'm fully saying she should stick to Instagram. But, like, the Johnson one, I'm not really surprised by because I believe he retired out of his contract with the UFC. And it was probably, like I said to you earlier, I know Bellator probably couldn't match penny for penny with no, the UFC. the thing came out, so the UFC and him mutually agreed to part ways. So that means he was still under contract. Right, that's what I'm saying. He retired, and then they he probably called up Dana and said, yo, I want out. And Dana said, all right, well, we're okay. getting rid of people anyway, so see you later. And Bellator said, look, like we can't match penny for penny with the UFC can, but you can get your sponsors back, which will make up whatever money. Plus, he's got his own cannabis deal, so running or whatever. So he's really not struggling for money. So with Johnson going over there, he's probably going to win both belts because he's already knocked Ryan Bader out clean, which, again, we've seen in Newark. So I'm assuming he's going to get both belts. And in, after three, four fights after winning both belts, he's going to be back in the UFC again. Him I see coming back. Yoel Romero, he's going to end up at 1FC because I don't know why Bellator would have won him because he's still a very relevant fighter in today. He's not a UFC outcast by any means. Now, Dana said they cut him because he had a big contract, his age, he's 43 years old, and he's lost four of his last five. They were all title fights, though, for the most part, except Costa or title eliminators. Like, I understand losing four in a row, but sometimes you got to put it into, like, perspective of what were them four fights you lost. It's not oh. like... No, I understand. They're just looking to cut costs, and that's the reason he put out there. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly right. I mean, you have to look at it from the business perspective at this point, you know, and, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to do that. Like we've, like you've already brought up, Paul, is, you know, big names draw big crowds, but unfortunately right now there are no crowds. Um, regardless of how many people are buying pay-per-views in order to continually get this entertainment, they're not getting all of the revenue that's coming in from actual promotions and fans being allowed in the stands. Because they, I'm going to cut you off for one second, because they said most of the fighters' payroll, they were paid by the gate. Yeah. Like, like uh, what's it called? All the fighters' salary was paid by for that fight night was paid by the gate. 
So everything that came in off the pay-per-views and advertisement was all profit. Yeah, it's kind it's kind of like being in, you know, a band and working in like the music industry. You know, you sell out a certain arena, you get an additional percentage bonus on top of that. It's exactly like that because not only does part of that come from the venue itself. So if you can sell out Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden is going to relinquish part of the amount that you essentially, you know, the the contract you had with them they're going to give back some of that and they're going to you know, provide you a certain percentage because you sold the entire arena out. So obviously in terms of concessions and all of these different things and parking and all of that, they're, they're getting a lot more money than if that wasn't the case. So you're ultimately going to get the money back from the venue as well as you can then push your fighters who have more of that commodity to them. But Sometimes in the names that we're bringing up, they're not main card pay-per-view fighters to the point where the UFC is going to be making a whole bunch of money off of people tuning into these people fighting. So if you're still spending a large amount of money on these contracts for them, it just makes sense to cut these certain people because unless they're going to bring you in for a five-round pay-per-view fight and you're expecting to get a you know, couple hundred thousand dollars off of the viewership and people pay, paying for the pay-per-view, they're not worth it anymore. It, it's sad, but it's just, it's finances. Yeah, yeah, I just find it struggle to feel bad that you need to cut all these fuck guys because you as a billion-dollar company overstretched yourself and now you got to go back and kind of remove fighters that don't, now, you're on a three-fight skid and they're not title fights? I understand it. Yeah. Go ahead, but like, like Matt Brown. And Carlos Condit, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Both, you know, I think are great, and I love watching them. Yeah, loser of that fight, see you later. Cowboy, great guy, love watching them. Dude, you lost like four in a row. See yeah. you later. But see, that's another one where it's going to be just because he's Cowboy, they'll probably keep him around. Yeah, you're right. All right, so we do have a pay-per-view this week and UFC 256. There are actually a lot of good fights. This card is stacked. Even on the early prelims, you have the guy they're jokingly calling Ben Askren's son, Chase Hooper, Ugh. who's a he's a solid fighter. Oh no, I'm just saying the nickname. It just he he deserves better. Yeah, yeah, but he's young, coming off his first loss. He's exciting. He's a guy who'll be around for a little bit, and hopefully, you know, they take his time with they take their time with him and let him rise the way he can. But we're gonna go to the regular prelims. Unfortunately, Angela Hill. Uh, tested positive for COVID, so they got a short-notice replacement for Tisha Torres in Sam Hughes. I don't really know enough about Sam Hughes to really give you an honest opinion on her, but Tisha Torres is a fighter who is much better than her ranking says it is. Tiny tornado. And then moving on, you have Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo. And then we have one where we're kind of a girl we're not really sold on in Mackenzie Dern. Mm. Uh, taking on her first-ranked opponent, even though she's ranked behind her, Inverna Jandiroba, who's coming off a submission win over Felice Herrig. And I know Sean will like this one. The main event of the prelims is the return of Cub Swanson versus Daniel Pineda. Because I know Cub is a big... You're a big fan of Cub. Is he one of my boys? He could be. <laughs> He's definitely one of my boys. <laughs> He's definitely one of my boys. <laughs> Cub Swanson's always fun. Problem is, every time we've seen him, he's lost. I think a lot of things are fun, Paul. Yet, I've never seen that out of you. You're like the <laughs> least fun person, but everyone is just fun. He likes to walk. That's true. Well, he honestly, have you ever seen him and Batman in the same room? 
<laughs> me neither. Someone's got to patrol those mean streets of Runnymede, and it's Paul. Yeah, but his parents are alive. <laughs> That's true. You're. They're, de- <laughs> <laughs> They're dead to him on the inside. That, that, that makes sense. That adds up, actually. That's fair. All right, moving on to the main event, a fight that Rob brought up a little while ago, the first fight on the main card, the heavyweight battle between the number seven in Junior Dos Santos versus the number 14 in Cyril Gain. This yeah. should be a stand-up fight. I don't see either one of these guys wrestling and going to the ground. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a stand-and-bang fight, and it's going to be entertaining to watch. Um, I'm actually not going to be surprised if Gain takes the victory on this one. Uh, it's just his remarks in his more recent interview saying that if he wins this fight, then he's worthy of Francis Ngannou. That makes me want to see him get knocked out flat, cold on you know the he's, canvas. He's dumb and delusional. If he wins against Junior Dos Santos, he'll probably walk into somebody like Walt Harris. I, yeah, I would say at the very best he's walking into being ranked at number 10 instead of 14 and that's that's still a long shot i think he could end up with a guy like overeem i know overeem's books before you jump in and say it but i'm saying in general he could probably end up somewhere with the overeem maybe even Derek lewis if this whole thing with covid you know someone roughly right there well we'll talk about Derek lewis in a little bit but uh next you have kevin holland who's on a five fight win streak who's the number 15 and he's about to fight this guy is a certified legend who yep. isn't ranked but should be ranked in Ronaldo Jacare Souza. I don't know, man. Holland, I'm, I'm I'm hype on him. His his win streak and just everything about him has been impressive so far, Timmy. Uh, I'm really feeling it. I, I think that he's going to go in there and he's going to continue to uh, compete at the same level that he has been. And uh, I do agree. You know, Souza is an absolute legend in my mind as well. Uh, but I think Holland is just on this tear right now where he's going to continue with it. Go ahead, Sean. She has to know that Jockery is 41. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I did not. Like, I did not realize he was as old as he is. Not that he's underperforming. I mean, his last no. fight was a split decision loss coming up from middleweight to yep. the current 205 champion. So I, li- I like Jockery in this fight. I know Kevin Holland's coming in hot, but I like Jockery. Yeah, I think Jacare's experience and overall skill set will be too much for Kevin Holland. I think it'll be too much too soon. Um, don't get me wrong, I like Kevin Holland. I think he would have been better off with somebody else when he was trying to break into the top, like a Brad Tavares, because he seems to be the testing ground for everybody at that at Kevin Holland's point in his career. I but I think with Jacare's overall skill set between his striking and his ground game, it might be too much too soon for him. Yeah, now don't get me wrong, if Sosa winds up winning, I'm not going to be upset. But I really do feel that, you know, Holland is just going to... I feel like that momentum and what we've seen from him, especially in these past four fights that he's, you know, on the streak with, I I feel very confident in him. But by no means am I going to be upset if Jacare winds up winning this this fight. You know, like we said, he's, he's a legend in his own right, especially for how old he is to still be able to perform the way that he is in the octagon. It's absolutely amazing. So I won't be disappointed, but I will definitively say that I'm going with his competitor here. Plus, I like his alligator clap. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so next is a lightweight fight with a former top five featherweight who's fought some of the best featherweights in the division over the last couple of years, and Hinato Moicano going up to lightweight to fight Rafael Fizif. I'm guessing that's how it says. I'm going to go with Moicano on this one. Yep. I just think Moicano overall has been in there with some of the better guys and 
Yeah, I, I don't really know too much about Fazif. So, uh, Moicano, I've definitely seen multiple times. So, I'll definitely go with him. Or I'll pick that based on whatever walkout music they come out to. Yeah. Moving on to the co-main event, which Chael Sonnen is calling the one of the semifinal matches for the lightweight title in Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. Now, this one is a 50-50 fight to me. They're both very close in all aspects. Tony is the better striker, but since coming back to lightweight, Charles has made leaps and bounds in not only his striking ability, but his striking power. And I think Tony is no slouch on the ground. He's as close to elite as you can get, but Charles has the most submissions in UFC history. So you have to think he has the advantage there. Um, I think Tony needs the win more after Mm -hmm. that loss to Justin Gaethje. It's not that he lost. It's the way he lost. Yeah. But I think Charles Oliveira is coming in with the momentum. Oh, absolutely. He's coming in hot off a seven-win fight streak. Eight-fight win streak. Eight now. Eight after beating Kevin Lee. Uh, um, it is very tough. It's For me, it's 50-50. If I had to make a pick, I'd say Tony Ferguson, but I'm not confident in it. No, I'll be confident and say Tony. Um, I, I think that Oliveira is everything that you just mentioned. I really do. But uh, Tony is just relentless. And I know that Oliveira's seen it all before, but there's just something about that forward progression from Tony regardless if he's getting smacked in the face numerous times. And I know that can obviously be a downside and how much of that punishment can he take. But uh, there's just something about that where if he continues to just push and pursue forward, uh, I, I just think it's going to be you know detrimental. Uh, I'm so excited for this fight. Anytime Tony Ferguson steps into the octagon, you know it's going to be eventful, regardless of what the outcome is. Uh, the co-main and the main event for this upcoming weekend is going to be Absolutely insane, but uh, this one I will definitively go Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I think it's more 80-20, Tony, to be honest with you. Um, the problem is is all three of us can't agree, and I'm a big fan of Tony Ferguson, so I'm going to have to pick Charles Charles Oliver <laughs> for the sole fact that whenever three, whenever situations like this where broadcasters, podcasters, whatever it is, all agree on one fighter to win, they lose. So uh, Charles Oliver, even though I think he's a B-grade Tony... <laughs> collectively with skills. Yes, he's better on the <laughs> ground, but Tony's literally better everywhere else. So we'll say B-grade Tony somehow magically pulls this win off, and I swear I'm going to be livid if B-grade Tony actually pulls <laughs> this off. I won't. I like Charles, and I think if Khabib was going to become back since he's not interested in Tony, Dustin, or Connor, that he'll would actually be the fight. He'll get interested in Tony. All Tony has to do, if Tony spectacularly wins this fight, Khabib's interest is going to go up. Right now he's just being a moody little bitch. Agreed. <laughs> That's fair. And moving on to the main event, both of these guys taking this fight on 21 days' notice. So awesome. Davidson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno. This should be a good fight. I mean, they're both, for that weight, big, strong guys. Um, I think Davidson is the more polished and better striker, and he has shown to have some slick jujitsu in that last fight. But I think total grappling and wrestling, I would give the advantage to Moreno. But if I had to pick right now, like I said, I would go with Davidson by KO in the third. I mean, let's just look at Moreno's journey for me personally from the first time I saw him in the No, no, you're thinking of Royville, <laughs> no, no, the guy no, who no, I know, beat. I know, but that's what I'm saying, though. Uh, just you know, from 
No, because it was Moreno, because I was saying that Moreno... Now, Royval was the one who uh, thought you thought looked like he didn't belong there, and then he got beat by Moreno in his last fight. No, I don't agree with you, because <laughs> I remember his shitty tattoos that I'm looking in the picture that he has right here on my phone. Uh, no, Moreno, um, regardless, it, and like you said, for Figueredo as well as Moreno, 21-day notice, I think it's officially the shortest turnaround for a championship. Yes, uh, which is absolutely incredible to think. Twenty-one days, you already defended it once. That's you know the fighter, the the real true fighting champion right there. Because you know, fuck Conor McGregor being my boy and everything like that. He's your boy. It, you know, he, he is. Paul has said it too many times well, for it not to be true. We could talk about Chandler turning down all those fights. No, we can't because we <laughs> we don't have that. Amount We're on of a time, time schedule. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, you know, this is a true fighting champion who is sticking to his word of actually saying anytime, anywhere, and it's 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 going to be a stand and bang fight, but. At the same time, if these two decide to go to the ground, it, it's going to be a grappling clinic between the both of them. I just wherever this fight goes, it's going to be fun to watch. I don't know if it's going to end in the first or if it's going to go all five rounds. I don't care either way. It's just going to be exciting. Remember, like two weeks ago, when Paul was not sold on Figueroa at all, he was like, oh, "I don't know. It's got a gut feeling. He's not going to win this fight." Now he's like, "Definitive, Figueroa. He's got it." He's, he's got it. He's got it. He's going to win the fight. I don't know why we've made Paul's voice deeper than it actually is. But I'm just wondering how much you guys are going to think it's so cool that they took this fight on such a short turnaround if, you know, the title changes. And then know. you're going to have to talk about how smart of a move that is. Give me a second because I'm about to hate on the idea that they're turning around in 21, in 21 days because <laughs> I did it last week and I was about to do it again. Uh, I hate that they're turning around on 21 days because as we were all wrestlers in our lives, getting to the weight is never the difficult part. It's maintaining the weight that's difficult. And now these fl- these guys who are all, I can almost guarantee you walk around at around 150 to 155 pounds have to maintain this weight. 21 days, which means they're going strictly water. They're strictly ballooning up just to shred it down at the end. It's horrible. And because Paul pissed me off by even mentioning the name Chandler, so thanks for this, the fact that Chandler couldn't get a fight, and they the reason was, well, he just went through a camp in October. We're not worried about him fighting until 2021. Yet they're forcing these dudes. Well, they didn't force him, obviously. I'm sure they offered him a good amount of money to turn around in 21 days and headline. But my point being is it's so hypocritical that they're claiming these guys as heroes, but they're babying this dude they just brought in from a losing organization. Figueredo has said, and so has Dana White, I mean, take it for what it is, but um, he said that he offered the fight as well as they basically wrote up the contract, like a, a rough one, and then he signed it before he left the building of his last fight. So I can't say too much that the UFC is having an effect on these two saying, you're going to fight in 21 days. The champ himself said, I'll fight this this card for the main event for my title in 21 days. And then before he even left the building from his last fight, he signed a temporary contract before they wrote up the full one. So, I mean, they're... There is a lot to be said about him as much as we want to think that the UFC has the, you know, the overall interest in it. Of course they do, and it's impressive, and it's going to pull a lot of viewership, and there's a lot of money to be had here. Uh, I sincerely think that the champ is just that fucking crazy. I mean, I would I would like to agree 
fully. I mean, like you said, like if if he came out and said it, you got to take it for what it is. Yeah. But on the other side of it, this is also a dude who notably struggles to make weight, and now we're going to make him struggle for 21 days to maintain that weight. It's just I think what you're going to end up getting is you're going to getting a false product. These guys are going to be really good when they have a proper time to prayer and or prayer prayer yeah prayer hey. Jesus uh to prep. <laughs> For everything, but now you're going to get these guys. If this thing goes past three, it's just going to be a sloppy like because they're 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 maintaining this weight for a long time for these guys who are not used to it. They probably ballooned up right after the fight to almost 140 pounds. I mean, Figueroa does look like Kratos with his uh, little red streak through his it's, head. So I mean, you know, he, he 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 is he is praying to some type of god, I'm sure, and <laughs> apparently it's the god of war. Yeah, well, good well, for him. He does have a bit of an attitude. We know that because he almost walked out on the. Uh, Post-fight interviews when he found out he didn't get a fight of the night bonus after his last fight. Yeah, he's definitely getting to a cockiness level that I'm not a fan of to the point where if Moreno does wind up winning, I'm not going to be upset, especially because then we can use this WWE storyline of I only had 21 days, and even though they both did, you know, he can say kind of what Sean just said of, well, it's kind of on false pretenses, and you didn't beat the best version of me. So you know they're going to turn it around real quick, and then in a couple of months we'll see fight number two between them. Well, mostly I want to see Figueroa win because I want to see those fights against either Cody or Cejudo. Yeah. Look, I, I like Figueroa. I don't think he's losing. Like, personally, I do not think that guy he, – he's hitting – and I know he's only defended the belt once, but the way that he abused Joseph Benavides, who is yeah. a top tier guy, he's been the guy who you know who hasn't been able to you know secure a belt in twenty five, but he's been one of the top guys. He's fought pretty much everyone in the division to a close fight, beating Cejudo in their last fight in the last time that those two fought. Um, you know, taking Demetrius Johnson all the way, and I think he lost a split decision to DJ. So he's fought the who's who of flyweight and. Twice, Figueroa destroyed him. Yep. So for me, he's not losing the belt. Like, I won't believe he's losing the belt until it's being wrapped around the other guy's waist. They're put over his shoulder because I think they're too small, so Dana doesn't bend over to do it. I think he puts <laughs> it over their shoulder. So he did put it over their shoulder and pat them on the head like, good job, little boy. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. You were looking to dive in there a couple times. I thought he said Dan, not Dana, and my ears perked up. Like, what the fuck am I bending over for? <laughs> Get my name out your mouth. I guess we'd have to ask Nancy that question. Yeah, dude, he likes his tempers are shaking, you know. Don't ask questions door. you don't want answers to, buddy. That's fair. That's fair. No, 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 no. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I would, I don't know. I thought that fight with, I know it didn't go long, but that fight with uh, Perez was fairly competitive. I would like to see that one go again eventually, but not right now. Um, but like I said, Davidson Figueredo right now, he looks like he's a juggernaut and a beast in that division, but we'll see what happens if Cejudo comes back. I don't think he's going to come back, dude. He's he's coming back for 45 maybe. I don't think he wants to cut the weight. That's the reason he jumped up to 35, dude. He, he That whole show, I'm going to be a double weight champion, was such a hoax, dude. He knew what he was doing. He knew he didn't want to cut back down to 25. If he did, he would have went back down and defended the belt. All right, I guess then we'll have to see what happens with him and Cody, even though none of us want to see Cody with a belt. There you go. Well, just like Fightful going west, somewhere out there we will be watching this Saturday, and then we will, of course, be live-tweeting at least the main card. Did you just <laughs> say Fightful going west? You just drop an American tail on this bitch? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't even know what to say with that one. Shocker. All right. 
So we're going to uh, wrap it up there. Feel free to follow us on all forms of social media. Rob, you got anything to add? Yeah, so of course, again, we're going to go uh, Twitter for this weekend. Um, so just make sure you're following us there. We're going to live tweet the main card, just like we try to do at least every single uh, fight night, pay-per-view, everything. It's at Process can. Potables if you weren't going to get to that. Oh, I was. But yeah, so at Process Potables on the Twitter. And then, uh, yeah, just um, again, just make sure if uh, you're actually following the live tweet, um, respond, let us know. We do put it out there first, what you think uh, the – um, outcome of the fight is going to be before uh, we put our own two cents out there as well. Uh, and if you don't happen to catch the pay-per-view, you can always look at our Twitter for the outcome of each fight and what we thought and how um, everything came out. So, yeah, that would be it for me. Sean? Uh, look, this podcast can only continue if you go by Paul Hardy. Like, I'm done with this Paul Ryan nonsense. Uh, it, it's over, dude. The Get world rid of knows. It. The world you already knows. Don't tell me what to do, you little bitch. You never have. You never will. Paul, I'm the only one who got fan service on social media. Corey doesn't count. Uh, he does. <laughs> no, he does not. Yes, Corey does he not does, count. Paul. Yes, but, he does. Oh, shut up. On that note, we will be taking a temporary break. We will be coming back after the holidays. So until then, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, back. Happy New Year's, and we'll see you around. 2021, Paul Hardy coming back, dude.